welcome to the Counterpress Podcast. I'm your host, Kirk Kinsey, and with me, as always, I have Josh Cacho. Josh, how are you? It's always better to talk after a win than after a loss, so I'm all about it tonight. Absolutely. And uh, since we already had our initial take the night of the match, we are here to give you more of an in-depth and tactical analysis of what we saw during the match um, and hopefully highlight a few of the things that we see LAFC doing really well and some of the things uh, where there may be little cracks starting to form and, and show. And then we'll move on to New England. Uh, but before we do that, it, it should be announced that we are now officially in iTunes. So if I had some applause or some cheers to play on a soundboard, I would, but we're going to spare you that and just say, hey, go subscribe, uh, review us, rate us. Please tell your friends about us. We are now on, again, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play as well. Um, so please keep uh, keep following and keep listening. And without any further ado, we will get straight into the match. And again, we talked about it a little bit on, on Friday night from more of an emotional and just kind of an initial reaction level. And tonight we want to dig a little bit deeper into what we saw. And the first thing I want to start with, Josh, is Diego Rossi. I noticed him playing a lot more centrally in this game. Not all the time, but definitely seemed purposeful that Rossi was playing in the center. And given a potential signing that the U.S. Embassy in Uruguay may or may not have already confirmed to us, um, it seems like that may be in his future. What do you think about Diego Rossi and playing centrally? Well, I mean, I think it actually plays to his strengths a little bit more. Um then, you know, maybe not more than what he's doing now, because obviously he's playing really well on that left hand side. And as you know, and again, it has been a bit big part of what has led us to this point in the season. But if you look at the way that Diego Rossi finishes off plays, the way that he's able to score, he's almost best in a, in a, in a more instinctive role right, where he's being fed the ball, where, you know, he can one time, you can hit a ball off a one-time pass, those types of things, as opposed to, you know, having the ball more where he's going to have to dribble at guys, come, you know, with the ball at his feet, make decisions, that type of thing, and, you know, set some other guys up. And so in that more central role where he's, you know, playing that false nine that Bob loves to use, you know, um, it allows what it does allow it, it seems is for him to get a full head of steam heading downfield. Right. And with the potential that we've seen again, obviously from a YouTube clip that we've, you know, from the YouTube clips you've seen online um, or, you know, or from the, what you've heard from the press in terms of what Brian Rodriguez could potentially bring to the game in terms of his ability to create his ability to hit that final pass just the way you would like it, you know, that actually may play to Rossi's strengths where now he can get on the end of balls from either Rodriguez or from Carlos Vela, you know, who are again, who can both create and finish in their own right. And so I think what it ultimately allows for us to be completely tactically flexible from the front three, right. Is which, which is what I think Bob is to a certain degree always wanted. Um, and so, yeah, I think it allows for a lot of that space, you know, and because of how, you know, how good Rossi has been. And again, with his speed, he does tend to draw people towards him, right? And so um, as he drops down into that space, it pulls those center backs 
you know, forward, you know, deeper into the middle of the field, which now once he plays that ball out wide to the wings, whether it be to a Rodriguez or to a Vela, now he's got a full head of steam, you know, and I think that's similar to one of the goals that we scored, you know, later in the game, you know, and so I think those are definitely opportunities where, you know, it'll, it, it could potentially unlock a little bit more of what Diego Rossi is best at in terms of um, being a finisher, you know, and again, being able to just one-time things, be more instinctive, be more reactionary, um, and, and and getting that service as, a, as opposed to being the one providing it. And then again, using his speed you know, to its fullest extent by getting out kind of, as he drops deeper into midfield, mm-hmm. getting more of a run as opposed to running out of room on the wing sometimes. Right. And you mentioned his contributions on, on a couple of the goals, and he definitely played a big part in two of them. And in the first one, it's not such a direct role, um, but definitely in the second one. And I wanted to break him down a little bit to, to explain what I'm getting at. In the first goal, you have, uh, I think it's Vela wins the ball or gets it in from maybe Beta Shore, buys some time, and then finds K. K starts heading up the field, plays a quick give and go with Blessing, and then gets the ball back, and he's in a position to play Dio in behind, behind uh, the center backs. And Dio's being man-marked by, by Perez at this point. And Diego Rossi starts to float centrally, uh, and he, he makes a run to split the two center backs. And at this time, Perez looks over and sees Rossi coming in centrally and actually leaves Dio. He peels off of him just, just a little bit to try and cover him or to try and cover both of them. I'm not sure what he's doing. But that, ro- that run from Rossi definitely throws Perez off. And that's when Kay hits the ball and slots it right in between uh, Perez and Dio. Dio lets it run onto his right foot and just one times a beautiful shot inside the post right past Kuzan. Um, but Rossi has a lot more to do if you had to, with that goal actually happening than, than you would initially notice if you just had watched it the first time. Because I think you miss that run if you don't slow it down and actually watch what's happening. So definitely his, his ability to draw defenders, like you say, uh, like you said earlier, has had an impact on that one. Yeah. I mean, I think it solves some of the problems that we've seen, you know, maybe not solve them, but it gives us a different option where we both get the finishing product as well as that ability to create space, right? Which, you know, again, that's an issue that we've seen from our forward line um, or from our, our center forward throughout the early parts of the season where we, it was almost like we got one or the other, right? We either get Dio's finishing or we get, you know, Ramirez's ability to create space for Carlos Vela and for Diego Rossi. And so now this seems like it potentially could be a perfect blend of the two, you know, and again, it's, he's going to be a much different type of forward, but I think it gives definitely a little bit more tactical flexibility. In in that that second goal, you see it where he's, so Dio sometimes I feel will play a little bit of the false nine or at least like a a target striker where he'll he'll post up a defender, you know, and, and wait for a ball to be played into him. Um, but in the second goal, Rossi is uh, back behind uh, the center line. So Kay picks up the ball. He does a little like half turn away from a defender, looks up and sees Rossi, and they have a little give and go, and Rossi's off to the races. Um, Kay plays it forward to Vela. Dio starts to move outside. So this is where you start to see a lot of those interchanging pieces with our attack. Mm-hmm. Vela comes in centrally. Kay finds him. Dio cuts onto the outs- out to the right wing. Vela plays him in behind the defense, and Dio sends in a cross, 
and who is there making the late run into the box? It's Diego Rossi. So, I mean, this is kind of like a classic false nine or, or, or a 10 or second striker position, right? Where he's making the late run into the box. He's at the spot and just one times a shot, um, hits it hard, hits it low. I think he takes a deflection and that helps it get by Guzan. But I mean, this is what you want from a striker, right? You want somebody that's going to be at the right time, at the right place at the right time and just put in a first time ball and we get the goal as a result. Um, and it, I mean, obviously this goal doesn't happen without him and neither does the, does the first goal, but I think him playing centrally leads to that, you know, four goals in 12 minutes thing, because it really just unsettles the defense. And I don't know if this was, uh, if this is a, a specific thing that Bob had asked for or a switch that he had shouted from the sideline, or if it's just something that naturally happened in the flow of the game. But either way, it, it works. It worked well in this occasion. And I really want to see more of it, especially if Brian Rodriguez is coming and he's this kind of playmaking winger, not, not a guy that's really going to look to shoot the ball too much. I'd love to see Rossi get some more minutes in that central role to see if we can, if we can make that work. Yeah. And I think, you know, like the way Atlanta was set up with the three center backs, right. They were playing that five, three, two with three center backs and two wing backs, you know, having someone who knows how to make, you know, who can time the runs, knows when to make the runs, how to pull that middle center back forward to create space, I think ultimately is going to be critical because I think that's something that we're likely to see, you know, going forward. And, you know, and I think we'll talk about it a little bit later in terms of, you know, just how the league is set up and then how we may need to adjust to some of those different things. But again, I think, you know, having a guy who can who knows when and where to make the run, but then also has that finishing product, you know, like I said, is going to be really advantageous going forward from that middle position. And then hopefully you kind of get that from all three guys. So then we have that interchange at all times where you don't actually have a a true positions from any of the front three guys. They kind of just rotate and play and just do their thing while the rest of the team kind of provides support from the back end. Yeah, I definitely agree with what you're saying about the space. And and one thing that I think is interesting about Rossi, and especially if he's playing some sort of false nine position, is if he is drawing defenders, let's say the center backs, he's he's posted up right in between them. If he 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 has the ability to open up space underneath for the wingers to cut in, or he has the ability to make runs and pull them even deeper. Uh and that's going to open up more space on the wings or he can, you know, he can drop towards our midfield and open up space behind for the wingers to run in on. So I think he's, his ability to outrun players and come back and make little combinations with the midfield uh, could really help open up some space in the attacking third, which against teams who are going to, are going to try and pack it in a little bit more might be really useful. Especially in the playoffs. That's one of the things, if you think about the complaints that we had early on, you know, whether it was last year with Areña or with Christian Ramirez earlier this season and then with Dio at times as well, right? It was that you could never have a guy that could create, that could both create space and finish, right? So you had Areña mm-hmm. and and Ramirez who were both excellent at creating space for Vela and those guys to operate and the it flows a little bit a little better, right? But at the same time, they're not finishing their chances, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yeah, to the point that some people were talking last year about Dio and Vela not getting along, or was there a chemistry issue? Was there something wrong? And I think you, I think you just nailed it, which is 
Dio's not going to be the one to create all the space, mm-hmm. but and he, he is going to finish. And he's a all natural goal scorer, right? That's so what we brought him in see for this. was to put the ball in the back of the net, right? And so, and look at his for, look at his goal is yeah. you know first timer. It's a true right striker's right goal, right? It was just you you know you know you take it one time, you Absolutely. see the goalkeeper's position, and you just hit that thing with some venom, and you and again you and at that point you're leaving it up to Guzan to make a play on the ball, and which he wasn't able to, right? And so mm-hmm. that, again, that's that difference right. between, you know, and so I think now with, if Rossi is able to fulfill that position, you know, and then with the potential of Rodriguez coming in, now you have that opportunity where you have a guy who can both create space, make runs in behind, right? You know, again, he's not going to be a post-up guy, right? But we don't necessarily need him to because the the speed make, makes up the difference, right? So you can play a little bit differently. And then again, if you need to now get into into a play where you know get into a thing where you need a headed ball in and those times i think or you're just lumping balls in because a team is parking the bus well now at 60 minutes you can bring on a deal right and and change up the style when you're really just trying to go Mm -hmm. for go for it and and win a game you know again i think the one frustration that i've had watching mls and we were talking about this earlier is that i think about 80 percent of the league parks the bus right because 80% 80% of the league hasn't had the fortune, hasn't had the opportunity, nor do they have the front office or the ownership to put together the right players with the right team and kind of do some those different things. And so what you end up having is the majority of teams right. playing, you know, extremely defensive. And now that kind of leads to some of the issues that we've been starting to see over the, you know, on the defensive side of, of the field, um, from LAFC, right? And I think, you know, we've been talking about that and I'll let you elaborate a little bit more about some of those issues when it comes to that, where because of the way that other teams are playing and we're pushing all those numbers forward, you know, how does that affect how, you know, in on the other side of things, how does that affect our defense and the balance and some of those things that are going on? Right, right. I, I think, so let's definitely come back to that, but um, I think you said something pretty interesting there about, uh, not everybody has the right front office to, you know, go out and, and field a squad like ours. Um, and I think it's, I think it is an indictment a little bit on, on MLS as a league where you have a maxim like win at home and draw on the road, just because if you do that, you're going to make it to the playoffs, right? So you, first you have the system where, you know, the, the league champ is crowned uh, only in the playoffs, not, you know, not like a, any other league where it, it depends on your table standing. Um, so that incentivizes, you know, just bunker in, make it to the playoffs, survive. And then once you're in the playoffs in a one-off game, you're bunkering again and hoping for a counter. Um, so I think that's the first incentive to play like that. And the second incentive I think is just the, the way that the salary cap works where you can only have three players. Uh, and we've talked plenty about why you should only spend that money in certain places where you can get, you know, these phenomenal players who are typically attackers. Um, so you're not, you're not building a midfield of really impressive talent. Most of the time, uh, if you're Colorado, again, you're going to spend that money on a goalkeeper kind of inexplicably. And, um, and you're, you're just wasting that spot. And so I think one of the things that the league has done to fix that is, you know, the, the introduction of Tam, where now we're able to keep a Walker Zimmerman on our back line because we can pay him a larger contract. 
that doesn't necessarily hit against the general salary cap. Yeah, I, think, I mean, I, I think that's how it works. You but know, I, I, the, I and Gam are two of the things that I still have no idea what it is, and I'm pretty sure they're just things that the league has made, you know, so that you know more teams. I mean, just to kind of figure it out, because again, it's not having a salary cap is not palatable to some of these owners that don't necessarily want to spend a ton of money. Right. I'm sure if you were to open it up 100%, right. right you're going to have the Atlantas, the LFCs, the, you know, the, the galaxies of the world that will spend whatever they need to make sure that they win. Um, you mm-hmm. know, and then you're. And one thing, one thing I want to get out there real fast is no salary cap doesn't always mean a quality league. I mean, if you look at the league in China, uh, they can spend all the money in the in the world, and you know they can go out and try and sign Gareth Bale, but that's not going to fix their their league. So I think there is something to be said about some salary cap, but yeah, the I way mean, it's structured, here I think that's the still, thing, right? You you still uh, have to have not quite right smart people spend money, right? Every other league, you know, every mm-hmm. other league in the United States has always had teams that can't get it right, right? Even regardless of all the advantages they mm-hmm. have, all the money in the world, you know, uh, the best locations yet they still do stupid stuff, right? You know, again, no no, no amount of money is ever right, going to cure right. dumb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think we're off on a tangent there. So let's get back to, we were kind of talking about the midfield um, when we started talking about, or I should say lamenting the fact that there's probably not a whole lot of DP midfielders out there to be signed. Um, and one thing I want to talk about is, is Latif Blessing's role, because I think he both has a lot to do with, our success in the first half of the season and also some of our shortcomings. And I do think his role is really interesting and I think it wasn't planned to be this way, but um, he kind of forced himself into the conversation where, and I really think it's in the home opener or just the season opener where he comes in as a sub and is playing centrally. Again, I don't know if it's because it was designed this way. It's something they worked on in the off season or if it just was, a moment of individual brilliance where he comes in in the SKC game and just breaks the game open with his pace and fresh legs in the center. Um, and I think his role is re- really interesting as, as he plays the sort of inverted destroyer. He's not, he's kind of playing in the 10 spot, but he's definitely not a number 10. He, I mean, his passing, especially on the final ball in, isn't all that great, but his ability to be forward and put in tackles far up the pitch as part of the counter press, I think has really unlocked a lot of counterattacking opportunities for us. Um, what, what are your thoughts on his role there and whether or not it's sustainable? Yeah, I mean, I think especially in the early part of the season where teams are still trying to find their identity, it was the perfect, you know, it's the perfect weapon for Bob to employ, right? And again, it was a little bit out of necessity. Lee ended up getting hurt. Um, I believe he pulled a hamstring in one of the games. And so that really is what thrust, you know, thrust. Mm-hmm. And then obviously um, Orto was still out with a quad strain. So ultimately that's what forced Latif into the midfield, into that midfield role. Um, and again, right. There's, there are things that leave a lot to be desired in terms of his game and some of those different things in terms of passing final ball, you know, whatever it may be. But at the same time, the one thing that you can never deny is that he's never going to cheat you on effort. Right. And I think in yeah, and no, I think if when you think about the way that Bob's employed him, right, it's it actually allows one of the front three to actually take time off and then they can still press. Right. And I think it's an issue that you see a lot mm-hmm. of times with teams that love to press as the as 
time goes on, as you have aging, you know, with aging stars, some of those different things, you can, you know, there's only moments, you know, in the game that you can, that you can play that intense, right? You know, a few minutes here, a few minutes there, you know, because you need, you know, Carlos at his maximum ability to be able to do the things that he do, you know, with, with enough energy to be able to create the way that he creates, right? What Latif has essentially done, right, is it, allows them to press from the top you know again we're defending from the front um with that intensity and then again with with and then allow either carlos or diego rossi to kind of take plays off if you will here and there so that way they're still ready to spring the counter when the ball when the ball's one back higher up the pitch now the issue that we're running into now right is that they're not smothering Right. Matt Doyle talked about it in one of it in his recent article where it there's moments where there's you would normally see the midfield really just close down and, and just not give that the you know the guy who has the ball any space to move. Right. But there's several times where the midfielders where whether it was Darlington Nagby or Medi picks the ball up at midfield and by the t- you know, and, and Kay and Blessing are just a second too late and then the ball's played out right and when you're not smothering it leads to some of these bigger counterattacking moments right and again is it sometimes it's a matter of his position you know of Latif's positioning on offense because he does you know he does want to be involved in the scoring and get, he wants to get in there and make and do his thing you know but at the same time it does leave issues especially when said whenever we're turning you know when 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 we've given up that ball and then now on the counterattack, now you just don't you just see things being a little bit late because again is it a positioning issue some of those different things, and so as now that teams are getting to the point in the season where they're starting to clean up some of their own mistakes they have their own identities, they understand how they're going to play and they have more chemistry together. How effective is is that free pressing role and that free destroyer role? It you know, again, remains to be seen because I think the last two games were really telling where it wasn't until Lee Wynn comes in the game to the midfield that things really start to settle down. And, you know, then LAFC starts to look a little bit more like LAFC, right? In, ter- in terms of the offensive product, right? right. But some of that disruption on the defensive end is starting to cause some issues. And again, is, is pressing to that extent sustainable to the point where you can win a championship that I'm not sure. And especially in a league that plays so much defense, right? Really? Like I said, I it's 80% of the teams are just going to sit back. How effective and how necessary that is when there's teams that are just w- way less willing to take chances when your playoff spot is on the line, it's way easier to just play a long ball over the top. So then at that point, how, how necessary is it to have that person there that's going to disrupt Again, against certain teams, against in Atlanta, it's a little bit more effective because there, you know, there were stretches of the game where it looked good. They're disruptive; those different things. And then when you're in a position where Atlanta is now playing more counter and those different things, then he's way less effective, right? So it's getting to the point now where I think there's a time and a place where you need one or the other. Whether either you're either going to need Lee's control or you're going to need Latif's energy, and I think there's a way to balance that out where depending on who you're playing against, you can, you can, you can juggle their, their positions effectively, you know, because ultimately on the, we can't sacrifice what K 
and and Atuesta bring to the field in terms of their ability to hold up the ball, you know, in the middle of the field and just kind of provide a platform for the forwards to do their thing, right? Yeah, and I I think uh, I think Kay and Atuesta have a lot to do with it. Uh, to be honest, I think their offensive ability in this game you saw, uh, to me, it felt like fifty fifty on the on their long diagonals or or you know long balls into Vela or Rossi. Um, and it, I mean, we score a fourth goal that way uh, with a K diagonal to, to Vela, and it eventually finds the feet of Atuesta, who has a remarkable first touch in the middle of the box in traffic and turns and fires a left-footed shot. I mean, it's a great shot, but that comes off of a K diagonal. Um, and I think if you have Atuesta and, and K able to play this sort of regista role where they can, they can lay deep and always hit these long diagonal outlets, and not have to worry about playing through blessing to the front or like, like we talked about earlier, if you have Rossi coming way deep uh, in sort of a false nine role to, to get some play with the midfield and then send the wingers off behind the defense, I think that can really work. Um, But also if, you know, if they're struggling and K did struggle on a hat on, on, you know, a number of his passes tonight where they just weren't sharp enough or weren't hard enough um, then, you know, now we're out of position because Blessing's not there to counterpress, and they're off to the races. Like you said, they play one ball out to Julian Gressel or Petey Martinez, and the next ball is to Joseph Martinez, who's in on goal by himself. Uh, and luckily, they they blew a, a bunch of those chances that they had uh, on on Friday night. But um, I definitely agree that they for for it to work with Blessing, Vela, or excuse me, Atuesta and, and K definitely have to be. On their yeah, game. you know, and like I said, in Carson was a perfect example of Kay had a fairly poor game, right? You know, he just didn't mm-hmm. look the same defensively. Passing wasn't there. All, a lot of different things, and it really disrupted the flow, right? And then so you saw Lee come in for Kay in that second half, and then then things changed a little bit, right? Same thing in in this mm-hmm. game where Lee had to come in for Beta, who seemed to be carrying a you know just. Continue. Yeah, he's probably on a minutes restriction more than anything, you know, still coming. Yeah. Because the crazy thing is he played 90 minutes at Houston. So I don't know if he's nursing right. something specifically or just not ready to, to push it to that extent. You know, it was a hamstring, right? It was in, yeah. And then he had all of June off, right? He didn't play any Open Cup games and then returned mm-hmm. for, oh man, I believe he returned for the Houston game specifically. Um, because that's when Eric, I think that was the first one. Yeah, back, yeah. or no, no, he it was Open Cup game is when he came. No, he didn't play Open Cup, did he? No, I think that was Blackman, wasn't it? Yeah, I think you're right. Or it's Blackman the Carson game. Blackman played Carson. I think he. I think Beta did play Open Cup. Anyways, he returned okay. around that time. Um, played mm-hmm. ninety at at Houston again because we were missing half the team. Um, on you know due to rotation, and then has you know. I think he's come out of the last two games at a certain point of the game. So obviously there's there's concern with the depth there and we can talk about that later. But I think the biggest thing, you know, is that when it you know, when it comes to the midfield, is understanding right, again, I think we have to kind of make a you know, make that distinction. Is LAFC trying to play just for the possession, or are they trying to, you know, is like is it possession or space that we value first? Right. Um if it's space, mm-hmm. then blessing is probably not your guy because he's more of that free. 
he's playing that free role. He's getting into space, into weird spaces. He gets, you know, he holds the ball, you know, and he gets out of tight areas that, he, you know, that no one else but him can get out of. Right. And there's mm-hmm. a time and a place for it, you know, or do we value the space where now that's Lee who under, who has a bit, a little bit better positional understanding, you know, and then now you can play those passing triangles. You can do those different things. And so again, again, certain teams, there's going to be, there's going to be times where, you need one versus the other, right? Against a team like Seattle, I think um, Latif is the perfect person to play against Seattle, right? Because Seattle is going to come mm-hmm. at you through the middle of the field. So you need someone who's just going to be nipping at your ankles the whole time, right? And causing chaos yeah. in the middle of the field. And then now we're on the counter, right? Which you don't, we haven't, been, we haven't seen that often because most teams are bunkering in against us, um, you know, or, but against a team, you know, that, that's going to be happy to let you, you know, like Portland, that's going to be happy to give you the majority of the possession. Well, you have to be smart in possession. You have to be able to pull people with your movement and those different things. And again, sometimes when I think there's a move, you know, say Dio is dropping down to create space in in maybe a false nine roll, you know, or Rossi makes a run, Latif will often run to that thing because he wants the ball. He wants to be a part of the buildup. You know, he's, you know, mm-hmm. he's trying to change the game because that's what he's known to, to be, right? He's the game changer. But again, sometimes it comes at the cost of space and the cost of, you know, of that ability to give you room to run and some of those things. And so, again, I think as you head into the second half of the season, as we see teams, you know, start to have specific styles and those different things, for me, I, I want to see more of a, you know, game-by-game decision you know, to kind of make, decide what you need for that particular game. And then again, at, at right. 60 minutes, you know, whatever, you can always make that change to, to get one of the two to change, you know, to influence it in a way, you know, in, mm-hmm. to, to the way you want it. But again, you don't want to be playing from behind either. So that's, that's again, where you would hope that the coaching staff will start to see some of those different things throughout the second half. Yeah, I agree. And I think I, one one final thing on that is, uh, one thing that I noticed in this match was Lee Wynn finding space, even on the right side, where you would think that if Vela's over there, you know, attracting defenders, there's not going to be a whole lot of space. But um, Lee Wynn on the ball in the attacking third frees up Vela to make different runs and be a little bit more creative with what he's doing off the ball as well. Yeah, and that's when you see the the that's when you see him nutmeg the defender and um, get to the goal line, and you know he has a he has a chance in the in the box. Um, and I think it's because, you know, if he's on the ball being a little bit smarter in possession and he's more a threat to make a good pass than Latif Blessing is, it really helps the other attackers be a little bit more creative with what they're doing off the ball. Yeah, he seems to have a better idea of knowing where to be based on where his guys are, right? So on that play you're talking mm-hmm. about, Vela makes, you know, Vela makes that exchange. I think they play a one-two and Vela cuts inside and then now Lee is is playing up the wing. Yeah. Right. Um, and again, you don't necessarily always see that with Latif, who tends to be a more of a direct player, right? He wants to take you one on one. You know, he's that Russell Westbrook type that's going to dribble at you with his head down. Right. And just kind of right. use his his pure skill and passion and, you know, just sheer force of of will to get, you know, to get by you. Right. Which is much different than understanding the spacing and running off of you know, making it, you know, almost like a screenplay where, you know, again, you're rubbing off Vela's guy and playing that one, too. So then it gives you that extra, extra little bit. And then because you cause a switch, now you're Lee Wynn one-on-one with a lumbering center back. Cause I think it was LGP that he nutmegged. 
on that mm-hmm. play. And so again, I think those there there seems to be a little bit more tactical awareness there. You know, again, but again, it doesn't take anything away from what Latif brings to the table. And I think again, they're, no, I mean, you could just chalk it up to Lee Wynn being kind of this grizzled vet who's seen enough of the league and he knows what's going, you know, Latif is still really young. So it's, I mean, that in and of itself, the fact that he's doing what he's doing at such a young age is remarkable. But I think you do see Lee Wynn um, a little bit wiser with what he's doing on the ball. Yeah, I think it's a time and a place. And I think that's that kind of segues into some of the things that we were talking about in terms of un- positional understanding when it comes to set plays, right? Which has been a little bit frustrating. Yeah. And I think we saw it, you know, towards the end and we were texting back and forth because you were at the game seeing some of these things happen, right? And when I believe it was on one of the set plays, Latif, and this is when Latif is, has come in at right back at, by this point, right? And we mm-hmm. have a set play up by up by a goal because I think at that point Miriam had already scored um, and we'll come back to that a little bit later. But just kind of talk about how, again, his influence on some of these set plays and what he may be trying to do that can, is causing a little bit of this defensive imbalance. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think on on a lot of these set plays where you have, are you, are you talking about the corner? Yeah, I believe it was a I, where he's supposed to go back and be the safety mm-hmm, valve, and then he tries to hit that one time. Yeah, so I mean, you, I believe it was Harvey for so for whatever reason, Bob really likes to have both center backs, even when we're winning up and in, up inside the box. And I mean, hey, I guess you can't fault him too much for trying to chase more goals and keep up the excitement, but Harvey's the 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 last man he's, you know, he's standing in the circle in the middle of the field and Latif is kind of walking back. We talked about this a bit on Friday night. He's kind of walking back slowly, trying to decide if he's going to go back or if he's going (laughs) to wait for a ball to pop loose and a ball does pop loose. And he comes in for a volley as Atuesta is coming out to control the ball. And I think it's Joseph Martinez that picks up the ball then. And he's essentially only got, Jordan Harvey and he's about 40 yards away to beat. I'm not. And again, at this point, I don't remember exactly what happened. I mean, they didn't uh, score beta, I it, believe but... made a huge run all the way back on that play. And then, then Joseph tried to spin mm-hmm. him and then just, just shanked it, just pulled it wide. Okay. Right. But it's a goal that normally we okay. would expect that Joseph Martinez to score on. Right. But yeah, again, it's yeah. that, that instinct that you have from Latif to just, you know, that, that attack instinct that kicks in, Right, that I don't think has quite settled mm-hmm. in when he's playing defense. Um, you know, because even when he's playing defense in the press, it's in an in an attacking manner, right? And so when right. we're asking him to sit, he's going after the ball. Is, is yeah, what he's he's not you know marking mm-hmm. somebody off the ball. He's going for the ball right and now. And just it it just may not be in his nature to just like you know to just chill and sit back and just let things come to you, right? And and be a little bit more reactive. And so, you know, again, and it's started to cause a couple problems, you know, on defensively for us, you know, and I think to the point where our last, you know, one of our subs, they ended up bringing in Yakovic to re- just play a three-man backline, which we haven't seen mm-hmm. at really at all this year, right? Um, just to kill the game off, you know, which I appreciate from Bob for really just saying, okay, we're we're now going to try and actually play some defense and win this game as opposed to winning seven to five, right? Yeah. Well, and, and that change specifically, I think um, I think Frank DeBoer, who, again, say what you want about him subbing off uh, Pity Martinez or, you know, his trying to change 
Atlanta into a possession-based team, I think he got a lot of things right in this game. And one of the things that he really wanted to do was pressure the fullbacks with Gressel and, and Pity, And then, you know, eventually he brings in Miram, who is just all beta shore and then blessing can handle on, on their left wing. Um, and I think, I mean, in the first play of the game, as soon as the ball goes to Jordan Harvey, you see Gressel just making a medal of honor run straight for him. And he causes kind of the, uh, the back and forth that I think leads to the, a handball. I'm honestly still not sure. I, I rewatched the game on Sunday night and couldn't tell if it was a foul or a handball that was called on that, on that initial set piece. And you see it a couple other times where we'd be switching the point um, of possession across the back line. And as soon as Eddie Segura would pick up the ball and turn to his left to play the ball to Harvey, again, Gressel would come flying up the field to pressure him there. Um, and I think that's one of the things that Frank DeBoer got right. You know, he would, they would get the ball from the fullbacks or in front of the fullbacks. And then again, look for that, that ball in behind to Joseph, who, again, if he's in on goal with your keeper by himself, he's going to be a problem for you. Yeah. I mean, like, I think they made a clear, I mean, they made a clear effort to basically sit the midfield down in front, you know, Emerson Heidman and, and Nagby were just essentially just sitting in front of the center backs. Right. So you're mm-hmm. playing a, a like a, a true back five there within Gressel and Miram in the second half, pushing forward from the wing back positions, you know, so they're essentially your wingers out there. And then, you know, and then PT and Bark, uh, PT and Barco underneath Joseph trying to make plays as your kind of link, your link between the forward line and, and Joseph. And so, yeah, I mean, tactically it was, you know, it made a lot of sense. And I think we're, we're, we're seeing it more and more of people just making those runs at Jordan Harvey, right? As what? I think ever since the San Jose game, yeah. I think they're the ones that kind of exposed that you could get behind, uh, if not Jordan Harvey, both of our full Yeah, packs. I believe he's the oldest player on the team, right? Um, 35, 35, yeah. And so, you know, it's it, it comes with the territory, right? People are going to identify that and see where, you know, okay, if this is... You know, this is where we can go at you. Um, Portland tried to do it at times, you know. And again, I think in in the Portland game, because of the way that they play, you didn't necessarily see him having to push up nearly as high. You know, it, it's a little mm-hmm. bit different of a scenario. You know, like you play it a little bit differently than you normally would have. But at the same time, you know, said the way the way that San Jose attacked was deliberate to get down that flank and really push him and make him work a little bit more. And you know, obviously, uh, you know two weeks ago we had that ability to pull Munir out of our back pocket and who has come such a long way defensively right now at this point in the season and given the, you know, the injury that he sustained, he's not going to be back until end of August at, at the earliest, right. And that playing likely playing with a mask and not a hundred percent game fitness. And so by the time we see the guy that we had been seeing previous to the injury, it's going to be sometime in September, October, right? Which is that last playoff push. Mm-hmm. Now, happy to have him back at that time, you know, hoping this a speedy recovery. It's a little bit nerve wracking going into this part of the season, knowing that again, it's a there's a there has been a clear effort on the part of defenses to really go after, you know, to really go after Jordan Harvey. And whether or not we have a counter for that at this time, again, given that the given that the midfield is starting to push up super high, and then the left side of our midfield is where Latif is, who's usually not in that position to push out wide, right? When yeah. 
when yeah. Jordan Harvey's getting getting over making that overlapping run under normal circumstances the left you know the left the left midfielder of the midfield three is going to push out wide to maintain that space well lately it's had to be Diego Rossi right because Latif is, has been mm-hmm. floating into the middle of the field getting in the mix and in the box and some of those things but if Rossi's on the attack too it leaves a lot to be desired in terms of defensive balance, which again, that's causing a lot of the issues there, right? So if you can force, you know, I think that's the one thing that they're looking for is anytime that Harvey's getting involved in the buildup in the overlap, they're immediately going to hit that deep diagonal down that, that, you know, down our left hand flank. And it it has been causing quite a bit of problems over the last, you know, three to four weeks or so. Well, to his credit, though, I mean, I definitely agree that it is a bit of a liability when he gets so far forward. But to his credit, that man, <laughs> that man will lay it all out. He will absolutely sprint all the way back. Um, I think we saw it. Uh, w- which match was it where he has a he has a bad giveaway in the in the final third? I think it's it's even in their inside their 18 gives it away and then sprints all the way back to make a sliding save. I mean, did it in this game. I mean, he, I think he won save of the game, right. With his, yeah, with yeah, off true. his, off a, yeah. off a poor touch, right. That, you know, yeah. that he had in the yeah. middle of the box, right. Gives it up and then is able to make an amazing sliding save to really, you know, to, you know, that basically sealed the game at that point. Right. And so yeah. again, he's, he's a professional defender at, you know, at minimum. So he's a guy that you know you can mm-hmm. count on is going to do the, all the right things, right? You again, you just wonder: do we need to make sure that we have cover for him? Not to say cover, but do we need to make sure that he he can rest, right, through these right. next few? Well, I think you see this problem all along the back line. I mean, so at the beginning of the season, everybody's worried about: do we have anybody behind Beta and Harvey? And we had no idea. But we had like three and behind Tristan Blackman, three behind Harvey, right? Because you had Hamalainen and yeah. you had Munir. Right. Right. And yeah. then so we're like, okay, at left back, we may be more solid than anything. Hamlinen has promise. He's gone. Right. Muneers are hurt. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's now no one behind him there. And on the and then yeah. on the right side, right? Now it was which which was the concern at first. Now Blackman has emerged as a guy who could, you know, is going to challenge Beta for that starting shot, you know, for the starting right. spot. But at the moment you have Beta who doesn't seem to be fully fit yet from his injury. Uh, multiple, I mean, he had the concussion as well. And then you have uh, Blackman who's nursing, what you call, did you strain. say it was a quad yeah. strain? So, and again, because I don't know, the, hopefully it's not the Alejandro Guido type know, right? where he's out. Well, I mean, and <laughs> you know, due to the, the rules and the reporting requirements, we really don't know, right? When I'm writing up some of these injury analysis for Angels on Parade, we're making our best educated guess based on what we see mm-hmm. on the field and you know, and, and what they're releasing, which is not a whole lot. Um, and yeah. so again, it becomes problematic trying to figure out these different things. We don't know the extent of Guido's injury it could have been a huge, like a major tear, which is going to take anywhere yeah. between four and six months to fully heal. Right. And he's been riding the mm-hmm. bike now. So, you know, who knows when he'll be back. Um, but again, we just really don't know. Again, same thing with Blackman, you know, based on what we saw, we he looked pretty good during the Carson game. And so you would hope that he should, you know, it was more of a load management issue given how much he had played in June and July that, yeah. you know, that was, yeah. okay, maybe we can give him a break here. Beta looks like he's okay. We'll see. Obviously, it said it's it's definitely a concern. The depth, the depth is definitely a concern at this point. And so, mm-hmm. you know, 
whether the LAFC will dip into the, either the loan market or into the transfer market. I think Vince yesterday, you know, during um, Heart of LAFC's podcast, they had someone had brought up that um, that Vince had noted that Lamar Lamar Batista, who I think people had talked about potentially coming in, and I think he had played some left back before. They said he's not ready, so he's still going to remain with with um, with yeah. Tucson for now. And so again, now the options become extremely limited out there. What? Well, and even Shaft Brewer's gone now yeah. too. So, so again, maybe that clears the decks, right? At that point, if if yeah, they're opening a up point. a roster maybe spot, else on the horizon. yeah. If if Shaft has you know left the team, that opens up a roster spot. Maybe now that you know that gives us that opportunity to go out and find someone either in the trade market or you know or in the yeah. low market. I I do believe we have some Gam and Tem left you know from what i understand and that was the intention to probably use that on providing a little bit of depth to that position because i yeah. think that's probably i think danilo silva has been deputized a few times to, to play right back start it right back yeah i think, I, I think they, left back is probably the, the more pressing game. concern at this point right yeah. consider we don't have any cover at the moment so again we'll see mm-hmm. and even silva himself has been nursing an injury so i think he's was it a nerve injury is that what i remember well it was started out with a hamstring strain and then this week it was a nerve was nerve irritation, right? So a lot of times, okay. you know, from you know, from a medical perspective, those things can come hand in hand because where the hamstring sits, it sits right on top of the sciatic nerve. So any kind of scar tissue and irritation will cause nerve mm. pain down the leg, right? Sciatica, if you you know, is a term that often gets thrown around with sometimes when you'll feel symptoms down there. So likely that's what's kind of going on there. Um, but again, okay. It, how long it takes to heal probably you know hopefully should be back in the next week or two yeah okay well i mean in the meantime we still have our emergency <laughs> i will do whatever you ask me bob player which is uh latif blessing who ends up moving to right back when lee wing comes on and i i mean i think that's a really underrated um ability that he has uh to at least go back there and give you enough effort to to hold it down for a match um so you can make a, you know, you don't have to bring on, you know, Djokovic to try and play right back. You can just leave Latif out there and bring on a Lee win. I think that's a, that gives Bob a lot of flexibility with what he can do. So even though we've been a little bit hard on him tonight, uh, we still love you Latif. And uh, we love that you're always going to give us an effort no matter where you are on the field. Yeah. That versatility is, like I said, it's, it's, it's a luxury for us at best. Right. Yeah, at, at worst, him, and right. it earned him an extension too. Yeah, I mean, so you know, said hopefully we'll be seeing him continue to progress and continue to, you know, further his career with the team. I know, absolutely. I know there's, absolutely. I've, I've seen quite a bit of SKC fans just wishing that they could have him back, which they cannot. Yeah. So the last thing that I wanted to talk about before we get into maybe a little bit of the skills challenge and what's going on uh, in the periphery is that first. I know it's kind of it seems kind of crazy to be going back to the beginning of the game at this point, but that first goal from Atlanta off the off the set piece, so they win a free kick. Uh, it's, it's pretty deep; they have to play a long ball in. But what I wanted to go over was the the concept of zonal marking. So this is what we play on all of our set pieces for the, all of our defensive set pieces, and the idea is that you have to go win the ball as a defender. And you hear this all the time. And I think Josh, you were talking about how it's kind of this uh, cliche now that anytime a team is going to, is going to do zonal marking that the, the old commentators always have to come in and say how much they hate it. 
Um, but I mean, if you, if you do it well, it, it works fantastically where if you get to the ball, to the ball first and you can clear it out. And on this one, I think you see Frank DeBoer come up with, you know, something that they had likely practice on the training field a couple of times where they put in a long ball across the box over everybody. And you have a runner kind of get free, uh, to put, to head that ball back across goal. Um, and then you see two, two players, two shooters, basically Mo Adams. And I don't remember who the other one was. They peel off. So, and again, in a zone marking scheme, nobody's watching them directly. They're watching the ball. Uh, so that ball's played back across. I think it's a poor clearance and it falls right to one of those two shooters who just puts it right where he needs to, uh, you know, outside the keeper. Um, and was there even a clearance or did, was it, did, was he able to head it directly to him? I don't think it went directly to him. Um, cause I know the intent was to, was to put it back into the box for someone to play right off of that long day. Yeah. You know? Let me look back. It does. It seems to me like somebody gets a foot to it. Mm, which may have been the case right my notes real fast you know but i think the big thing you know with with zonal marking right it like like any defense there's going to be you know there's the weaknesses and the strengths to it right the Mm -hmm. the the weakness of the zonal marking right is obviously you're you, you there's guys that can go that will get go unnoticed within within the with the craziness of the box right and the referee in this match, would, I don't even know what he was doing because he constantly warned people and then not doing anything every single time. That <laughs> yeah, I think stuff it was would a happen. Perez that got a he got a he got a yellow card and then had like two or three more fouls on open runners. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, so, but it just slows the game down. It does weird things, but it's like if you're going to make a point to warn players for wrestling in the box and doing these different things, you actually have to call it right. And that was a frustration. Mm-hmm. But you know, mm-hmm. besides that you know, with that zonal, with zonal marking, right? And you see, even defensively, we play the same way, right? Which is a contrast from San Jose, right? Who is going to man mark all over the field, right? So they each have a guy that you're going to chase all over the field. Atlanta in this game, I believe Mo Adams was man marking Carlos Vela, right? He was Mm -hmm. just, his job was just to follow Vela around wherever he went. Um, And at least at the beginning, you had Heinemann on out to Weston. I think that's what really shook us up in the first 15 mm-hmm. minutes or well, so. Well, in, in the previous match, it was... That we had with uh, Galaxy. Yeah, Fabio Alvarez's job was to just go find Atuesta and mm-hmm. make his life miserable, right? And I think that's where we actually learn, right? Because you saw Atuesta, the buildup occur a little bit differently than we were yeah. forcing in the previous game. And so, again, which is a positive note to see, but when it comes to that zonal marking scheme in the box, right, it, what ends up happening, and you see it in basketball, which I think is where some of it that some of it has been derived from, is that to beat a zone defense, you have to swing and move the ball to get that zone to shift, right? So with mm-hmm. that long diagonal ball, it causes that whole zone, everyone's zone to shift over towards that side of the field. So now when the ball gets played back across, your body's not in position to see that guy coming through because again, you're yeah. shifting every all your focus and attention is shifting towards the flight path of the ball, right? And again, you're expecting mm-hmm. the ball to go now towards the goal, but when he plays it back across towards their, you know, towards the midfielders where Mo Adams is sitting, well, then now he's completely free, right? Versus yeah. some of the man marking that the the older guys like, right, where you're just chasing people around. Well, now you can set picks. Now you can set screens. You, you know, you have that, you mm-hmm. know, like the, the rub play where, you know, I think there was England in the World Cup that played a ton of it where they just worked on set pieces because when you don't have a lot of time to actually work on tactics 
the best thing to score goals on is set pieces, right? Yeah. I mean, we've lost yeah. games just on set pieces alone, right? The Colorado game was a perfect example of that, right? And so, the Van- did Vancouver score off a set piece, or was that no? They they no, had a they they theirs was like a it was actually a nice, pretty decent build up. It was like I think off a turnover in the middle okay. of the field, and they okay. they it was that the one like then the Miram the Miram own goal or Miram to um, Segura own goal where. It's a, yeah. a guy that gets beat down the line and a cut back to the middle of the field mm-hmm. type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. So when you kind of look at that that bigger picture in terms of that, the one thing when it comes to zonal marking is you just can't fall asleep, right? And that early yeah. point of the game, whether, I, you know, I have to feel like there's a little bit of communication issue and I've had, I was tweeting about it, you know, that there just doesn't seem to be that ability for you know what that relationship between Cisniega and Walker Zimmerman, you know, to be able to direct traffic the way that he probably needs to, and that goal is scored on Walker on that on the side that Walker's on, right? So yeah. whatever, whatever. So I just checked my notes too, real quick. Uh, Zimmerman does get a foot to it, uh, yeah, as that ball comes back across, so he kind of clears it into the path of. Mo Adams there. Yeah, and, Sorry, but the question is that what was his what was his responsibility there, right? So right. you would think if you know, and it's one of those things where should Cisnega directed him to go play Mo Adams, and then which now frees up Cisnega to go get the first ball, right? Yeah, because at that point now he just doesn't see anything that's happening because again is again I just don't know if I see that ability to direct the back line the way that you would like to see from from your goalie who's seeing everything yeah. on those set pieces. Well, and again, I think, uh, I think this comes back to the design too. And whether or not he's thinking this much into it, if Frank drops off two runners in that, so you already have what could be a confusing situation if just Mo Adams is back there, but now there's two guys kind of in the area. You're not sure who the ball is going to go to. So, you know, I mean, I, I really do think it came down to, it was a well-designed set piece um, to counter exactly what we do on, on defense. Yeah, and again, and I do think there's a bit of it was like we shut off, right? It's 90 seconds of the game. I'm not sure you're right, right. you're ready for that that to happen. And again, I think Bob stated it best, right? In in only a way that Bob can. It's like we started terribly and we ended terribly, right? In, yeah, in the yeah. first half, and that didn't change to to a certain degree for the whole for the even in the second half, right? Mm-hmm. Started terribly, didn't finish all that great either. You know, fortunately, yeah. we didn't give up that last goal. But again, there's these moments and these different things that I think the amount of goals that we score and how well we've been playing and actually the other teams' mistakes have kind of, you know, papered up the cracks that we've started to show, I think, at times in the season. And the question mm-hmm. that we, that we you know, you have to ask heading into this next portion is, is there an adjustment that can be made? Is there something that we can do to really just clean it up heading into the second half, you know, because yeah. we don't want to continue to make these same, same mistakes, right? Whether it's Latif flying out of position, right? Or, or Walker and Cisnega not communicating and then giving up a goal on a set play, mm-hmm. you know, or I think it was in the NYCFC game, NYCFC game where they kind of some, something similar where I think Walker and Tyler Miller, even right. Who are great at communicating, have a little bit of thing and no one actually goes for, the ball as it's going out of bounds and then you see um yes you know then you see the matrita get i think get get on the end of the ball play it back into the box for a goal right, right. and then right. we end up drawing that game and so 
again, there there just seems to be these things, whether it's a communication issue, you know, a positioning issue, little things, right? And the concerning thing is with a new playoff format, those little things can lose you a game, mm-hmm. right? So the you know, so then you just have to hope that again that the coaching staff is going to be pointing out these things and the guys are really taking it in, because again, it a little a, a moment can turn everything up on you know upside down, right? Right. And so those are those are those things that you, again you just hope that as we head into the second half of this into the, what the third and fourth phase of the season. Mm-hmm. Right, that we're able to clean up to make sure that we're we're right on top of things as we head into, you know, make that cup run. Absolutely. Well, I feel like we spent a lot of time analyzing and overanalyzing everything. Um, let's not get it twisted. Uh, LAFC on this night beat the defending champion uh, in Atlanta United and had quite possibly the best. 15 to 20 minutes of any team this season. Um, and, you know, they scoring those 12, the four goals in those 12 minutes. And really um, up until that last goal in the half um, just looked out of this world. Like, I mean, as if, if LAFC were to play like that, even, you know, 30, 40 minutes a game, they're not going to lose to anybody in this league. So, even I mean, despite us breaking down all these little things that may cause trouble down the road, uh, again, still top of the table, still an insane goal differential, um, and we're still the best defensive team in the league as well. So, lots to lots to be positive about. The last thing I want to ask you, Josh, was: Did you happen to watch the MLS Skills Challenge tonight? I did. I mean, I saw Carlos Vela sail like four four of his shots over the top of the crossbar trying to go for the number 10. But, you know, I mean, it's, that, it's, I'm sorry to say that might've been the least surprising thing. Yeah. Me. I mean, at, at, the, at the end of the day, it was really fun, right? It, it, it has remin, you know, it's, it's, it's not quite the home run derby. It's not quite the dunk contest, Yeah, but it has its own quirkiness and, and appeal. I feel bad for all the people that set up all, you know, in the last challenge where they're, you know, they're supposed to be hitting the, the targets and stuff that, you know, from distance, mm-hmm. I feel bad for all the interns and people who set up that course because all those guys were trying to do was go crossbar. Right. <laughs> right. And I think Max Bredos <laughs> pointed out like it's an hour and a half to set this thing up yeah. and all they're just, you know, next time leave all that stuff off, just do a crossbar challenge from midfield. Yeah. Right. You know, again, and, and then it, exactly. It, it, they kept, they kept, that broadcast kept focusing in on that freaking golf cart every time it would come yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, because I think, uh, and it's like I there's shots going in on the crossbar that I want to see. I don't want to see this golf cart with a giant fifteen on yeah, it. Yeah, well, by. I think the one thing that I think the I think they could actually hear the broadcast. I think the the players can hear what the broadcast guys are saying through the middle of it, right? Because mm-hmm. if I remember right, it was it was being broadcast live, whatever they're saying. And so I think okay. they're almost yeah. trying because I think they were making bets with each other, like as the field. I think. Was it uh, Stu Holden is the one who was with with Bretos tonight? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so Stu yeah. Holden was like, "I'll give a thousand dollars if you do this to you know to hit." Yeah, I think that one was uh, if you get every single point in the in the penalty yeah, challenge. You know, right? so and you know, I, I'm pretty sure they were you know they were going back and forth with the guys, those different things, and I think they were trying to encourage yeah. the guys to actually look at some of the other targets in the middle of it. But again, like crossbar <laughs> is such a an integral part of every practice, right? At the end of every yeah, soccer practice, right. that's literally what everyone does. You either try to hit the crossbar or you set up and try to go top, you know, up, you know, top bins, right? It's just, those are just mm-hmm. the things that you do, right? 
the crossbar is the thing. You are right. I, th- I mean, I saw a video a couple months ago. I think it was on Twitter or Facebook about a little kid who had hit the crossbar three times and his dad was going to buy him a new PlayStation or something. And then the kid does it. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's it's awesome because everybody understands that. Everybody knows exactly mm-hmm. what they're doing. So like I said, I think, you know, there's parts of it that you can be a little less gimmicky with. There's things that you can change. But again, it was, I think it provided what we wanted. And unfortunately, you know, yeah. they... Carlos Vela didn't necessarily perform as well as we would have liked to, but again, it's the for, the good thing is that it's not like the home run derby where you're changing everything you do and adjusting the way that you play to the point where you usually have a terrible second half of the season and you can no longer hit anymore, right? In baseball, right? This right. is one of those things where this is basically what they're what you're getting a glimpse of is the end of practice of it, like every game. what they do every mm-hmm. day, which is pretty neat. Like yeah. I said, you get yeah. to see the relationships, you get to see them do those different things, you know, like. You, I would almost like to hear them mic'd up. That probably would have been even better, right? Just to hear them. Talking. So they, I mean, they were wearing mics. I would have liked to hear. I've heard it more. I mean, you could tell it kind of bothered some of them. They kept fidgeting with yeah. the well, with the mics. I wonder, that were I wonder how much of the conversation short. though is in Spanish. Also, given given you have Atletico Madrid out there, you have you know Ache Ache Hector Herrera from Atletico that's friends with yeah, Bella yeah. and John Bella Santos, Dos right? Santos. So the guy from or. Uh, Orlando City was also out there. The uh, Ecuadorian. Yeah. So I mean, you know, again, how are they going to naturally? Are they going to have conversation in English that are going to be broadcast worthy? Probably not, right? Or or at least to to an American yeah. audience, you know, not so much. But you know, to a Spanish audience, you know, then it would be good stuff. But again, it, it that's where obviously it may not work out as well as you would like to. But it's fun, right? It, it did its job, you know. Um, yeah. you, tomorrow you just hope that they get their 15 to 20 minutes of running, they stay fit, they stay healthy and then hit the ground running on, on, um, on Saturday against new England revolution, the new England Bruce arenas. Yeah. Right. And you know, Bruce is a guy who's played, I think, you know, the one thing that concerns me more than anything, right. They're the hottest team, one of the hottest teams in the league. Right, I believe they're they've won like their last seven games or something along that line. They're seven. Of yeah. Them. Yeah. And, uh, and Bruce is a guy that has just knows, Bob, you know, he knows Bob. He's been around. They've both been around the block, right? They've both coached at MLS. Mm-hmm. They coached the national team. You know, I, maybe he may not have seen this version of Bob, right? The the reborn, reborn in offensive only football, Bob, the pure football, Bob. You know, I think from yeah. the U.S. national team days, we're expecting, you know, you would have thought it would be way more pragmatic. But uh, to complete, yeah, you know, which yeah. is which is great for us because it's it's good to watch. But at the same time, it's you know much different. Did you see the video, by the way? Sorry, I keep interrupting here. But did you see the video of all the All Stars being asked who their favorite team was yeah, to watch? Was all the LAFC? Yeah, of course it was. I mean, we all well, like I said, what we talked about earlier. Eighty percent of the league just plays parks the bus, right? So I'm not trying to mm-hmm. what I'm not sure what you what else there is to watch. There's you know, as as great as we play, <laughs> the options are fairly limited in terms of teams that play attractive football, right? It's probably yeah, us in yeah. Seattle, right? Last year would have been Atlanta, mm-hmm. right? But again, the I think I think San Jose. Don't hate me, everybody. I think San Jose has been much more fun to watch. Oh yeah, it's it, I mean, but it, to, in the, it to a certain degree, it's 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 almost like just it's so chaotic you can't take your eyes off of it, right? Because you just have right, guys right. chasing people all over the field, and it's just wild mm-hmm. at times, right? <laughs> but they hey, yeah. they're winning games so we'll see right who adjust, who's able to adjust for it and again i think the question with the press and i think it's probably a conversation we're going to have you know a lot more over the next few weeks you know again how, is the press sustainable is this something that you can continue to do and it can, can it ultimately win you a championship in a one-off 
right? Or get you through a playoff in these one-off games, right? Again, it that we're not sure yet, right? It hasn't been proven. The majority of team, you know, I guess, you know, Red Bull, right? Who is the premier pressing team in the league, right? Has won a lot of games in the regular season, but has yet to really win it when it matters in the playoffs. You know, I, I believe I don't think they they've won an MLS Cup yet, right? And again, they're the previous. Yeah, to, I'm not sure. Yeah, and to be honest, at least in the in the modern era under Jesse Marsh and then now under um, Chris Armas. Right, this incarnation. Yeah, in this yeah. incarnation, the pressing, the high pressing scheme, they've yet they've they haven't been able to win the big one, which is you know again crazy given how well that team has looked when Bradley Wright Phillips was at his best and those different things. And again, with Tyler Adams, even right, it's a team that that their their scheme their their pressing scheme is you know different because it's it's you know it was really intense in the same way but again it the the football afterwards was a lot different you know i will say but at the yeah. same time you know pressing has yet to been able to win a cup right the one thing that you've really seen win right now has been counterattacking right whether or at least be successful even tata I last mean, year you had in it last year, which were portland and atlanta mm-hmm. to very counterattacking teams at least at the time yeah uh, I just looked. New York Red Bulls have not won the NMLS. Yeah, Cup. so there you go, right? So we haven't seen a, a true pressing team really win those big ones, and it matters because at a certain point, right, you have to know how to play smart, and sometimes with the press, you tend to get pulled out of position, and that doesn't always end well for teams, right? Mm-hmm. I think Liverpool last year and the previous years not being able to win you know, or last year's um, Champions League final against Real Madrid, right? There's a little bit of franticness that in a big game like that, you don't always want, right? Sometimes cooler heads prevail given the gravity, given the moment, all those different things. And sometimes that's just what you need. And you saw that this year in the in the Champions League final where it was the most boring game of all time, right? Where after they after they got an early, early penalty, it was just pragmatic and, it wins games, right? It's why Jose Mourinho won. As a Liverpool supporter, care that it was boring or that you guys lifted the trophy? Oh, that we won the trophy, right? So at the end of the day, right? And again, that but that's my fear with Bob, right? Is has he become so much of a p- football purist like a Pep Guardiola yeah. that it prevents you from winning a big game? There, There is a mm-hmm. chance that that could happen, right? Because are you going to play the way that you need to to win a game, to win a one-off game? Or are we so stuck in a certain specific way of playing the game that we can't get over ourselves to win a game when it matters? That, yeah. Again, it's a question that's going to be answered, you know, in the coming months. Um, and again, we'll have to see what happens in terms of how we make yep. those adjustments. But again, it is it is something to think about as we head forward. Again, can we can we make adjustments to the way we play to adjust to the league, to ju- to adjust to the situation, to adjust to the moment, right? Um, as much as we want Mark Anthony Kidd to get forward and play really well, is there times where we need to just have him sit in between the center backs and thwart Zlatan? Absolutely, right? It, that's probably what we needed in that game. Is there a time where we need, you know, Latif to just sit back and not get involved? Absolutely. You know, again, it's not in the nature in the terms of what we've, in the things that we've ingrained in the team so far. And that we've seen from them in terms of just this free flowing and we're all over the place and those different things, which has been great to watch. But again, the question becomes, do we want is what's more important playing good football or putting a star on the shirt? Right. Yeah. You know, 
Well, I mean, I, so, so far, playing good football has got us all this way, and I think uh, we'll end up with home field advantage throughout the playoffs, and we'll worry about that when we get there. But as you, uh, as you all know, we will be here to break down all those little changes and adjustments that Josh has alluded to there. You can, again, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, and I think pretty much anywhere else now that we've been listed in iTunes. So please, again, uh, subscribe to the podcast, give us a review, shoot us an email at thecounterpressshow at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Kirk Kinsey. And Josh, you are? LAFC Josh. Uh, and if you want more in-depth analysis and in more of a scouting report from Josh, you can listen to the Dolly Black and Gold podcast that normally drops on Fridays. It's, right? It should be, day. yeah, it usually will come out either the day before or the day of the game. So hit him up there. He and Pablo Morales will break down uh, what it means to be playing New England this weekend. But for us, that is all we have tonight. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.